When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, I, I do a lot of these um, kind of formalized, uh, I don't know, you call them rants or, or whatever you want to call them uh, on this podcast. And every once in a while, I kind of want to just throw out some like discussion items, some tips. People ask me frequently, like, what are some things you recommend when you're working with botanical method aquariums or just aquariums in general do you have any like you know words of wisdom that you've learned over the years and i thought you know that's that's kind of cool we all do and i figured i'd share a few and i'm sure there's others that you could build on in the community and maybe you have other questions or suggestions that we can hit the next time we do uh, one of our podcasts or an instagram live but i wanted to talk about a few things that i think are kind of uh interesting uh, ideas that might help your experience with botanical method aquariums. There's no particular order to this. I just wrote down some things and uh, I'll kind of riff on them for you. Now, my first suggestion to you, perhaps something if you're less experienced with these types of tanks or maybe you're experienced and just haven't thought about this. Uh, important thing is to get a little bit of circulation going. And a lot of people say, well, wait a sec, you have a basically what amounts to a pile of leaves and debris and decomposing stuff. And, how do you have circulation in your aquarium? You know, you can't, obviously you can't blast power heads down into the sand or the substrate because you're going to have, rightfully so, you're going to have bits and pieces of detritus and decomposing material and leaves and botanicals floating all over the tank. So you don't want to do that, but you do want to have some decent water movement. Uh, maybe turn down your flow considerably on your power heads or your filter outputs or direct them towards the surface, for example, to get some gas exchange. But the important thing is to keep some water movement going. You don't want stra you know, stratification. You don't want to have too much stuff accumulating and stagnating in different corners of the tank. So you want to have a little bit of gross water movement to keep things up. And yeah, some stuff's going to float up into the current. That's what happens. That's what happens in nature as well. Most of the time, it'll get picked up by your uh, filter or you go in there and you net this stuff out if it really bothers you. Um, but you will see some stuff in suspension from time to time. But the idea is to just keep good water motion going, which helps to, you know, maybe even break up the surface, get some dissolved oxygen gas facility, gas exchange and so forth, and just keep water moving. Um, the other thing that I thought about, and we haven't, we haven't touched on this much because it hasn't been as super important, but we, we do use lighting in a lot of our systems, regardless of whether we have plants or not. And more and more of us are playing with plants and our botanical method or black water or tinted water aquariums. And, you know, you spend a lot of money on, I hope, I think you spend a lot of money on decent lighting systems. I hope you're getting good lighting systems. And most of them, these days, most of us are trying to use LED. Uh, and LED has emitters and lenses that, you know, need to be kept clean from dust. Because even a little bit of, you know, buildup of, of, of you know, calcification from water or whatever, so just some general sort of dust and so forth on those lenses can reduce lighting a substantial percentage. And, you know, you're paying a lot for it. Uh, you might as well get maximum benefit out of your lighting. So make it a habit to clean your, you know, whether you're using an LED or, you know, 
fluorescent or whatever, clean your you know, emitters, your reflectors, your bulbs at least once a month, maybe even more often. It's a little thing that you don't think about, but um, particularly now that you, a lot of us, have, again, have switched to LED, which has a really long lifespan, why not get the maximum benefit out of it as well? So little thing that we don't always do, uh, but something that you think about. Um, the other thought is uh, I talk about chemical filtration media, particularly activated carbon. And of course, there's others, uh, polyfilter, chemipure, um, uh, CCAM, uh, Renew, those kind of things. Um, there's some good, there's some good products out there and I do utilize them. Believe it or not, I do use carbon in almost every aquarium. Now it seems counterintuitive to some extent because I know so many of us are trying to get that tint in the water the visual tint and carbon does excel at removing things that discolor the water. And it's just something you have to sort of find a, a comfortable amount to use that's not totally getting rid of all that tint that you like, but still is striking a balance between helping export nutrients, keep that water clean um, while still maintaining the color. My recommendation is use about half or less than what the manufacturer recommends, uh, whether you're using it passively or within a filter or however you're doing it, because at least you're getting some of the benefit of the carbon um, and maybe not as much benefit as you'd get, i.e. as much pulling power uh, or power to absorb uh, the color from the uh, the water as you get if you use the full dosage, but it helps. Again, uh, carbon's really good at removing all kinds of organics, and it's also good at removing things that discolor. Uh, it's just a good insurance policy because uh, if God forbid there is a, you overfeed or something happens, you're out of town, you neglect or whatever, it just sort of gives you a little bit of a uh, an extra edge, and it even. Uh, a lot of us use open top tanks and carbon actually can enter, uh, can remove, you know, contaminants that enter the tank like aerosols or even air freshener sprays that someone inadvertently sprays and some of the stuff gets in there. And I'm not saying it's guaranteed to get everything out, but having some chemical filtration media is sort of a uh, insurance policy for you. The, the other suggestion I have, regardless of whether it's a botanical method aquarium, a reef aquarium, a cichlid aquarium, a planted tank, I most even know this, but whatever type of tank it is that you have, create a routine and stick with that routine. You know, again, whether it's exchanging water, which I personally do weekly, I do a 10% water exchange in all my aquariums every week. That's just me. Maybe you have a smaller uh, uh, regimen. Maybe it's more frequent uh, with larger or, or less frequent with larger, excuse me, and more frequent with smaller uh, exchanges. I don't know, but whatever works for you. But make it a point to do that. Clean all your uh, your pumps, power heads. Um, you know, if you have an auto top off, like I do, it has an optical sensor, wipe it down because some of that botanical detritus or buildup gets on that stuff. Keep those pumps flowing nicely. Um, you know, dirty, you know, power heads and, and, uh, pumps can reduce the performance of your filter substantially. So just little routine, common sense stuff, but these are set and forget I guess if you if you if you if you let them go, you won't you won't think about it. But uh, aquariums can cannot really be set and forget. I don't know why I said that because there's nothing set and forget about most aquariums. We tend to want to do that, but the equipment, even though it's not operating in a harsh environment, does get uh, degraded over time. And particularly in an environment with botanical method aquariums, where we have a lot of that stuff breaking out, and the leaves and so forth, creating detritus and. Uh, uh, bits and pieces that get stuck in impellers and so forth. So you got to clean these things periodically. It's really important. Uh, another uh, suggestion I have is to sort of, uh, I don't know, make a mental 
account for everything that you put into the system that you keep. In other words, um, understand that when you're adding botanical material, just like when you're adding fishes, you're adding bioload to the aquarium. So it's important to do it on a gradual basis. It's important to let your bacterial population, remember the botanical method aquarium relies on ecology, natural ecology within the aquarium to handle nutrient export and just overall environmental management of the system. So you don't want to overwhelm the biosha that you very carefully built up over time by adding a huge influx of fishes or a huge influx of botanicals all at one time. Everything should be done in a measured way. So take into account these types of things. Understand that everything increases the bioload and, and therefore the burden on the bacteria, which are the basis of your basis for your system, it increases the burden on them to process any organic material or waste that comes in with this stuff. So you can do that periodically. Another insurance policy is to regularly top off your aquarium with uh, with bacterial additives, either like our purple non-sulfur bacteria uh, solution uh, or some of the other really fine products out there that are bacterial cultures for aquatic life. There's a lot of them out there and I recommend that you use them regularly as part of your routine. That's the one additive that I really believe every tank could benefit from. Um, the other thing too I talk about, it's kind of old school mindset, but I, I just really believe it is get the largest aquarium that you can afford and accommodate. And I know that I do a, a, a fair amount of work with what I call nano tanks, tanks under say 20 gallons. And there's a lot of amazing aquariums out there that are in that size range. But I just am a firm believer, particularly in a with a methodology that like we play with, the botanical method aquarium, where there's a lot of material going into the water. I'm a firm believer that that extra volume of water provided by a larger aquarium just affords you the ability to do more, to have a little bit of insurance against something going wrong. It provides a little more stability, uh, facilitates more gas exchange when it's a larger surface area. It just enables you to do more. You, you, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to start with a small aquarium and I'll eventually, you know, work my way up to a larger one. And, and I respect that because sometimes economics dictate that or the space in your house or whatever. But if you can afford it, if you do have the ability to um, to accommodate a larger aquarium, I'd start right off, the, right off the bat with a larger aquarium. I just think it makes more sense because you're going to have a better experience if you maintain if you develop these skills and habits that apply to botanical method aquariums a larger aquarium is just going to give you the ability to rebound from problems a little quicker or to avoid problems altogether more quickly yes it's a little more work because you're talking about larger volumes of water it's more stuff to aquascape or whatever so there's expense involved but overall i think the experience is going to be a little bit better for you personal opinion but i, I believe in that um, the other thing too, uh, another piece of advice that I think is really important for success is, is planning ahead uh, when you're going to purchase fishes. Think about the impact on the ecosystem that you've created. Think about how they're going to interact with the environment that you've set up. Think about in, in a botanical method of think about what strata they occupy, whether it's the surface, the bottom, whether they're picking up the bottom. Are these fishes that are going to disturb your substrate? Case in point. Uh, my well-known obsession with a certain species of pleco, Pecolotia compta, L134, leopard frog pleco, little guy. They're about three or four inches long, really pretty uh, pleco. They are one of the species that tends to rasp at wood. 
uh, great fish, but they will spend a lot of time rasping at wood. So I have them right now in an aquarium with some oak twigs and some other little branches. And almost daily, there's a huge pile of what amounts to sort of partially digested um, bark and, and, and wood uh, material because they're working it, looking for food. Um, they're rasping it off overnight. And it's, it's really incredible to see this stuff build up. You think, wow, this looks crazy. It almost looks like another substrate, but it's the byproduct of that type of work. So again, if you don't like to see that sort of stuff or if it bothers you to have that, don't add a fish like that to your aquarium. Understand the habits of the fish and its impact on the ecology or even the aesthetics of the aquarium that you're setting up. Fishes that love to dig in the under the substrate. Well, if you have a leaf litter bed, it's going to be constantly disturbed. Now, that's not the end of the world, but it's going to put a lot of material into suspension. You may have the stuff all bushed, uh, you know, brushed up to one side so it won't look as good or it won't look the way you like it. You have to be willing to make some concessions. So these are some things to think about. Think about the habits of your fishes when you're stocking your botanical method aquariums. Um, another idea, people ask me about you know the water exchanges and so forth, and I, I just think it's really important to keep fresh, uh, prepared, and I say prepared, uh, prepared water on standby at all times. When I say prepared, I mean, uh, perhaps if you're using water right out of the tap, then dechlorinated water. Uh, if you're like me and use reverse osmosis and deionization, have a few jugs of uh, RODI water sitting around at all times. You just never know when you're going to need to make an emergency water chain exchange, or perhaps uh, there's a lot more evaporation than you realize and you got to top it off quickly, or Maybe you want to set up another tank at the, sort of the last minute because you went to that club auction and or the local fish store and pulled the trigger on that fish that you didn't expect to buy and you need to set up a quarantine tank or another tank. So it's always good to have a little extra water on hand. It's a simple tip, but something really important. Um, the other thing is, again, the other tip I have for you is such common sense, but I just think it's so important to, st- to restate this over and over again. Always quarantine new arrivals new fishes it's just that important it, 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 no matter where you get them from even if your fish store is meticulous it doesn't matter that they you know they observe their fishes and they hold them for a while it's in a tank that held other fishes at some point they can come in contact with a sick fish and bring that into your aquarium even if they're asymptomatic i know it sounds like kind of covidish right but it's true um i've seen a lot of people that bought fishes from places that supposedly quarantine their fish and they bring home an illness to their aquarium it happens i saw it happen with a good friend of mine a few weeks back um i'm paranoid about that so get a small aquarium it doesn't have to be anything fancy uh, a, a sponge filter or an, in, an outside power filter whatever keep it constantly going uh, uh not not the aquarium but the the filter keep this like the filter media in an existing tank or a sponge filter keep it in an existing tank so that you've got it colonized with bacteria and ready to go you just add some water from your display aquarium you know that you do from one of your water changes uh plop it into the tank get your new fishes in there boom they're not only you know getting a chance to quarantine but they're acclimating to the actual conditions that they're going to experience when they ultimately end up in your display tank quarantine fishes for at least two weeks to 30 days and you'll just it's just a better practice i know it's slow i know it's something everybody talks about and a lot of people don't like to do but it has made such a difference in my aquarium experience sure you might get lucky sure you probably have out of a hundred times you buy fish and just throw them into your aquarium you might lose a fish or cause bring an illness in maybe twice but boy that's a lot um it's that even that two percent is so devastating when you have an entire aquarium 
you know, wiped out by a fish that could have been and should have been quarantined. Uh, it's just a, a practice that I think is just so worth it. Um, another thing too is to sort of keep track of water chemistry. Now, I'm not saying be religious about testing every single parameter and, you know, shooting for target pHs and TDS and all this stuff. But I think because we're sort of in an emerging hobby specialty, it's a really good idea to have an awareness of what's going on in your tank and to document that, not even just for yourself and your own use, but to share with others so that we have a sort of a, a, a community of people that have an idea what's going on in their aquarium. We'll learn like what impacts the pH, how the long-term pH is in an aquarium or the long-term trend on phosphate and nitrate and so forth and water quality and other um, important things, TDS, conductivity, those kind of measures. They're really important. Um, it's pieces of a puzzle that we can all use. And it's also kind of fun to know what's going on in your aquarium. You know, I'm not going to say that an aquarium will ever be plug and play where you can expect this exact pH by doing this or that. But but when you do test these things and log data over time, you might notice trends. Oh, when I added this, the pH went down to this. Or when I did this water exchange, the TDS stayed at this level or went dropped or increased or whatever. And these are important things to know because over time you might see, see things that are trends that are perhaps will lead to procedure and practice and you know best practices and at the very least just things to be aware of. So information is never a bad thing. I think it's something that you need to know. Um, the other thing too is uh, to write this stuff down, record it. I think it's really, really important to record information. Keep a journal on your tank. Take notes. You don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to do it every single day, but take a bunch of notes every once in a while. Look at your tank, see what's going on. I think you'll find some really great information there. And I think you're going to find that it's a very useful tool to record this information. Again, not only for yourself, but for the community at large. Finally, keep it simple. The, the, I know that there's an urge to use all kinds of gear and so forth. And coming from the reef aquarium hobby, I'm acutely aware of this. But I think the best systems that I've seen, most of the best systems I've seen in the botanical method aquarium are simple. They might use higher end gear, for example, better lights, maybe some better pumps, nicer aquariums or whatever. But they don't have every single gadget attached to them. Um, you're not injecting CO2 into the system. You're not you know, using UV or whatever. You're just running a common sense system with basic filtration and good husbandry. And again, the most important thing about keeping it simple is that it enables you to enjoy the hobby for what it is, not to become a tank manager where most of what you're doing on a daily basis is taking care of every aspect of the aquarium, all the minutia that can go wrong, less points of failure, um, more time enjoying the fishes, studying the ecology, and learning about what's going on in your tank. I think observation is very, very important. And simplicity is a key part of enabling you to enjoy the aquarium without spending all your time maintaining it. I get it. Some of you might be gearheads, but um, even in the reef aquarium world, I think keeping things as simple as possible has been very beneficial for me. And in the botanical method aquarium, absolutely so. So that's just a little list of things that I think are some nice tips that have benefited me and many others in the aquarium hobby over the years, and particularly those of us that play with botanical method aquariums. There's probably 25 others I could have or should have included, and I probably should have went in depth on some of, some of these. I probably could have written entire you know blogs and done an entire podcasts on just a few of these points, but I think they're good talking points, good things to get in your mind, and I hope that you find some benefit to this. Maybe stuff you already knew, you probably did, but sometimes hearing it from somebody else like old Scott is just a good idea to jar the old memory and keep you 
you know, in practice. So um, I'm going to leave it at that. We'll probably do this again from time to time because there's always some new ideas to talk about. Until then, stay aware, stay informed, stay excited, stay involved, and always stay wet. This is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tannin.